So, thank you very much, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Tax Tech and Other Stuff with me, Russell Gammon. I'm, I'm here on behalf of Tax Systems. This is episode three of our podcast. So, first and foremost, welcome to our first ever external guest. Today, we've got Ian Pay with us, who's the head of data analytics and technology. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, sorry, at the ICAW, of course. Uh, that's quite an important part of the process. Um, Ian, really pleased to have you join us. Um, do you oh, no, thank te- you for having me. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So, yes, Head of Data Analytics and Tech at ICAW, and I've been in that role for just coming up for two years now. Um, prior to that, I was, for my sins, in at uh, PwC uh, for 10 and a bit years. Wow. I'm not an accountant. Okay. Um, I uh, have to apologize profusely for that <laughs> but i have worked um when i was at pwc i was working with external auditors uh, for a number of years on data analytics uh, solutions to support the audit um i also used to be a teacher i have a, a quite mm. a varied uh, unusual cv it's fair to say um uh, but yeah joined icaw about two years ago nice and it's all, all going well i presume over there keeping you busy yeah it's it's busy it's very <laughs> very busy um and yeah you we know what, what some of the big topics are i'm sure we'll be talking about them um very shortly um i mean my my role at icaw is kind of splits in two really i suppose one part is looking after uh the the technology focused communities that we have mm-hmm. uh, we've got an excel community uh, which is uh, now over 30,000 members, wow. um, which is really thriving, um, doing really, really well there. And we also have a data analytics community that's 37,000 members, I believe. Wow. Um, and those communities, the analytics community is actually completely free for anyone to join. Um, so you can you can uh, join that. I'm sure we can uh, share a link to uh, to join that if, yep. if anyone's interested. And and we've you know articles, webinars, events, all sorts of things talking about technology in, in those communities. So a big part of my role is looking after them, and then the other part of my role is a sort of broader membership engagement on on all things analytics and tech. Yeah, nice. And I, I, the Excel community, I find I find fascinating. I obviously I'm 15 years into being an accountant, and therefore um, I am synonymous with Excel, like many um, accountants are, and I would class myself as a decent user, but then when you get into these kind of communities and the people really, when they know what they're doing, it's, it's a whole other ball game. I mean, there are world championships in this thing, right? There are actual Excel world oh, championships. I mean, the Excel world championships are kind of fascinating. We have, uh, I think we've got an ICAW member who is in the top 10 in the world in, in Excel, wow. um, which is, you know, just goes to show how, how good you can be yeah. as an accountant in spreadsheets yeah it really does kind of um make the the everyday excel user kind of sit back and go ah oh, okay right there's there's a whole other several levels above um what we get into and i suppose what does your you know there are the communities what does your day are you the day job is very very varied doing lots of different things i suppose um lots of different content obviously you guys have got a lot of content out there is that the main part of it or is it every day is a, a different day every day is a different day it's um such a varied role so I suppose the sort of bread and butter activities is is the sort of the content side of things. So that's webinars or written articles focusing on sort of the big topics, whether that's AI yep. or cybersecurity topics or sort of blockchain's gone a bit quiet recently, but that's mm-hmm. still going to, well, I'd say quietly, I think there's been some big stories in the last couple of days, so that may pop yep. up again soon. So that, So you've got that side of things, but then um, away from that, it it's changes so much from day to day. So you've got working on larger thought leadership pieces, research pieces, potentially government consultation responses in the tech space. Oh, wow. You've got 
working closely with our education and training team on on new courses or existing courses or different sort of training options mm-hmm. um looking at the data analytics certificate that we run and and you know, working on that to develop that further um yeah there's nice. no two days are alike certainly nice. it's it's a it's it's quite a quite a fun role awesome no that does sound really good those are the best kind of roles when you're doing lots of different things um so i mean i don't know how many minutes we've managed to get into without mentioning generative ai it is my uh, my topic of choice and as you know we've and we've spoken about this a few times previously um i've spent a lot of my i suppose last nine months or i imagine your 2023 was probably the year of generative ai uh, maybe more than any other technology um it'll be interesting to see if 2024 follows suit but um it was a a bit of an explosion onto the scene, wasn't it? So I, I guess, you know, does it remain the hot topic? And of course, we, we all or certainly lots of the listeners will have seen that ICAW put out an awful lot of guidance around generative AI last year. So just tell us a bit about um, how that's all kind of come to be. I mean, it's it's kind of terrifying to think that you're sort of looking at, I think, was it, what was it, end of November 22? Yeah. Um, when, when chat GPT version 3 kind of, went big yeah yeah um the growth in the number of users far exceeding any kind of piece of technology previously so that the route to 100 million users oh, was faster than facebook or twitter it was crazy wasn't it or or the internet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or all of these kinds of things so we kind of it's actually a really interesting journey from an isaw perspective because we were kind of expecting to need to talk about ai a bit in 2023 (laughs) um but i don't think anything had prepared us for quite the volume and the level of interest in the in sort of in the public in ai and it is you have to give chat gpt a lot of credit for this Mm. it's worth saying ai is not new it's not it's not like it's sort of suddenly became a thing in 2023 ai has been around for for decades but the the public consciousness has changed yeah. this awareness of the potential of what ai can do and certainly in generative ai being able to see applications that can actually respond in this sort of human like way mm. really does kind of capture the imagination in a way that it you know when it's just kind of algorithms crunching numbers probably didn't do in the past yeah so from an ICAW perspective, we've we've sort of found over over 2023, yes, we've we spent a lot of time talking about AI, a lot more time than we were expecting, but um it's been really, really exciting to see how this has all kind of been evolving and, and changing and how the conversation's been sort of moving along. And we've been blessed with some some really, really good fortune. So we had our annual conference uh back in November. Mm-hmm. Um, which we'd planned from the outset to have a bit of a technology and AI theme, but actually ended up coinciding exactly with the uh, the UK government's AI summit, yeah. um, which was um, fantastic because it meant there was a real kind of buzz and sort of interest in AI. And we did manage to get some really good speakers there, um, including the BBC technology editor, mm-hmm. who literally came down from Bletchley Park, spoke at our event, and then went back to Bletchley nice. Park. That's, that's um, a good, good bit of kudos. So, yeah, that was that was pretty cool, um, and then as you touched on, yeah, the uh, the guidance that we put out, we, we were finding from very very early on, a lot of our members sort of trying to get to grips with generative AI and asking similar sorts of questions around, you know, at a simple level, can I use it? Um, how can I, you know, what are the opportunities to use it? What should I be thinking about when I'm sort of rolling this out in my business? 
um, all these sorts of questions. So we thought we've got to put some guidance out in this space to help our members. So we spent a bit of time and, and I think we've put together something which is really quite comprehensive. Mm, um, definitely. And actually, for a while, there wasn't really anything else out there like it. We're now starting to see organizations like NCSC issuing guidance around security of generative AI, which is actually also quite a, a meaty piece of work that they've done. You can use generative AI. It can do some really, really clever things, but you need to be mindful of the sort of legal considerations. You need yeah. to be mindful of cybersecurity, but also trying to be positive as well to say, actually, here are some really good examples of where people are starting to use this technology and how they're doing it in a safe way. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think the consciousness and the kind of the knowledge and the the use has been really impressive over the course of the year. So I remember going out to see customers in, I guess, sort of March, April, twenty twenty three, and they were just like, "Oh, we've banned it. We can't, you know, no one can use it. Um, it's against all of our rules. We've got big strict policies, and if people try to go to the URLs, you know, we've blocked it." Um, and then relatively quickly, within two or three months, actually, people had realised that it, you know, Pandora's box has very much been opened. This thing isn't going away. It's not about switching it all off. It's about using it in the right way. So it's about policies of what well, quite clearly we're not going to allow you to go to public chat GPT and put in client sensitive data. But maybe we've spun up our own environment in our own IT stack. And actually, it's okay for you to put the data in there now because we know it's not going external. We know it's not training models and doing all that kind of stuff that we don't want it to do. So I think, you know, it's been really impressive that all within a year, there's been from the start of all this to actually a level of maturity that's really good to see. And actually, the example you gave earlier, and I was, I was giving a talk on this yesterday to one of our accounting firm clients. And you know, you mentioned when the internet first came around. Now, the internet first came around sort of a year later. And, you know, I was still um, at school when the internet first came around. But a year later, you know, it had progressed, but it hadn't progressed anything like we've seen the progression um, with generative AI. We've managed to cover an awful lot of ground in that first year or I suppose 13 months or so now. So it's a really pleasing industry to be involved in. And actually, I think um, also to, to just see that people have, haven't gone with that kind of knee jerk. Oh, we, we just can't use it. It's not going to impact us. And bury head in the sand it's been very much okay well what does this mean and how can we embrace it but embrace the good bits but also be very wary of the bad bits if that makes sense and and embracing it i think is really important there's a there's a kind of business philosophy um that that's really relevant here which is to kind of say if you don't provide your staff with the tools they want to use then they will find a way hmm. to use them circumventing your controls in your systems yeah. so i find I, I i always find the uh the notion of sort of banning chat gpt uh, a little bit of a uh, you know it's almost a red herring really because you, you can ban the url for chat gpt yeah but if people want to use it that's not going to stop them finding a way to use it if they're really determined oh yeah um so actually it's much better to kind of allow people to use it but with the right guardrails in place well exactly you know everyone's got a mobile phone everyone can download an app and everyone can go and either get free access or 20 dollars exactly. a month you know yeah. it's one of those things that i think you're right and you know when you speak to customers you say you do realize that there are absolutely people in your building using this stuff whether you want them to or not it's a simple case of making them use it in the right way and also i think there's an education piece there right it's about making sure that everybody understands and i think that, that your guidance went a long way on that to say you know this is how you can use it and should use it and maybe also shouldn't use it um in the certain places so that's really good i think um a couple of kind of specific areas i wanted to delve into because it's um you know i spend lots of my days geeking out on this stuff and i'm sure you do too but a couple of areas that are specific to tax so and this is one of the kind of 
I guess, pieces of logic that I've heard over and over again over the last year or so. So it'd be good to get your take. It's, um, you know, so generative AI is never going to be 100% correct. And the example I always give with that is, you know, if you ask it to complete the sentence, the sky is, well, there are lots of very, very valid and correct answers to the sky is. It can be blue, it can be cloudy, it can be rainy, it can be anything else. So there is no concept of 100% correctness within kind of large language models. But of course, tax is about being 100% correct. You can't submit a, a tax return to HMRC and say, well, you know, I'm sort of about right. It's, you know, it's about paying the right amount of tax. And it's a thing where, you know, 100% accuracy is correct. And therefore, the logical kind of assumption that some people have said is, well, therefore, if the technology can't be 100% right, and tax has to be 100% right, then the technology hasn't got a place within tax. I guess, what's your what's your take on that? How do you kind of, um, when people look, I'm sure you've heard similar kind of thought processes, how do you kind of see that? Well, um, I think to answer that question, it's actually very important to just take that step back and say, why are we having this conversation about generative AI and, and language models? And and a lot of it stems from a little bit of a misunderstanding about how they work. And this, because they give human-like responses, we start to think of them like humans. Mm. But actually, it's really important to just say, hang on a minute, the way that these things are working, they're all algorithms still. They're all fundamentally just computer programs. But what they're doing is in a programmatic way, basically predicting what the next word will be in, in sort of, or the likely the likely next word or the likely next pixel in an image or the likely next piece of sound or piece of video. Mm-hmm. Um and it's all again it's all a probability game really, the way that these algorithms are built up. So the systems are not inherently clever at all. They they're really just um determining the the likely next step Mm. the next word the next whatever and what that means is that it gives the impression of knowing what it's talking about without necessarily having any contextual awareness whatsoever yeah so it will you know this term of hallucination um it will say things it will you know give and and there's lots of examples of there are in in the news recently i think actually a, a an HMRC investigation where someone used yeah. previous cases mm-hmm. that were generated by an AI tool and they sounded plausible, but they never happened. Mm, exactly. Um, and we've had examples where, you know, it will generate entire books and synopses and, and ISBN numbers for books, but the books don't exist. No. But they sound like, and you sort, of, you sort of feel like, if you know so much about this book, why don't you just go ahead and write it? Because <laughs> you seem to, it seems to have that knowledge. But when it comes to calculations, it's the same problem applies. Like it doesn't, you you ask it to do a calculation like 25 times 57, and it doesn't inherently know that's a calculation. It's all yeah. it's doing is sort of inferring what, what the probability is of the sequence of numbers that it gives of the answer. Yeah. Now it's learning from, sources um and and the, it's getting better all the time and the things that it can now start to do is to kind of call on other engines so if it recognizes something as a calculation mm. it may actually kind of reach out to essentially the virtual equivalent of a calculator yeah and say okay i'm not just going to programmatically write a series of numbers for an answer because that's what it thinks you want it what it thinks you want is the right answer so it will go off and get a calculator to get the answer and then it will return that information for you so you're starting Mm. to see that integration with other tools to kind of do some of that 
work that generative AI tools themselves are not naturally good at doing. Yeah, and I think there's there's probably a couple of things that's interesting, and I'm sure you've seen a few of them. I think I can count three that I've seen in the UK and one in Ireland where people have um, effectively taken a language model and they they what they've done is they've thrown all of the HMRC manuals and guidance and various public sources at those those models and they've kind of fine-tuned them and trained them. And they're quite good at being able to, you know, if you want a basic um, kind of query, okay, can you tell me a little bit about um, entrepreneur's relief? Then it's, it's pretty good at, you know, going away and, and finding some right stuff that will do a better job than ChatGPT natively would. But then as soon as you start throwing maths at it, it does quite, you know, I, I asked it for something where I had profit of a million and it came back and it gave me a tax charge of just over 1.1 million. I thought that was a little bit punitive um, on the business and, and maybe wasn't the correct answer. Although it's been a long time since I've done my exams. Um, but I think you're right. It's about knowing what is and what isn't a strength of a large language model, and then, and I know you know you'll probably know better than I things you know like you've got Python plugins that can can actually go away and do the mathematical part because Python is pretty good at maths, whereas um, large language model maybe not. Is that is that probably where you see tax applications going in that space? Is that a fair? Yeah, you're you're gonna. It's the 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 power of the 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 generative AI tools is not to do everything themselves it's actually where they start being able to to connect to different applications and different solutions to draw on the expertise of those platforms yeah do the legwork for you so you know you mentioned python it what it can do is it can essentially write the python code to do the calculation and then return the calculation yeah. result rather than it trying to do the calculation itself because it is um programmed to be aware of its own limitations in 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 that sense yeah nice and and i guess in terms of then your your role and obviously as you said the year was meant to be a little bit about ai and turned into the year of generative ai or something how how's how do you do as you got good flexibility in your role to be able to say okay actually the thing that really matters to, to our community is is this it wasn't meant to be this but it is um and you can just kind of flex how does it kind of what's your ICAW hat on what what does that look like in terms of just dealing with the pace of change and how you know every day or week seemingly there's a new tool application viewpoint um all those sorts of things I suppose it maybe also keeps it quite interesting I mean I think in technology you have to be just very very agile yeah and there's there's no other way of doing it so yes we sort of start the year with um our plan in terms of these are the topics that we think we want to talk about these are the the focus areas um there's still bandwidth to cover those but you just flex things around a little bit to say okay well actually we need to devote a bit more time to this topic because it's clearly going to be massive yeah um and and you know likewise we don't people sort of might think that we have this sort of crystal ball of what's coming <laughs> from the government and sometimes we do but often we don't know what the government's going to do next and so mm. they might suddenly land a massive consultation yeah that we have to respond to and we kind of have to do that sort of okay drop everything let's respond to that government consultation because it's a really important thing for us to do mm. yeah nice nice and i suppose you know i would dearly love to sit and geek out on generative ai, generative AI for hours but outside of um gen ai just for a minute um or or two what's what else are you seeing what's what's 2024 if, if you did have a crystal ball um what other things are you seeing as being kind of key and important from a for kind of the membership yeah i mean 2024 there's so many different topics um i think my my role is sort of very data focused and i think um there's still a really big focus on automation and, and mm -hmm. the use of data to support 
um, good decision making. Um, the the skills piece is still massive for the for the sector. There's a really really big challenge across accountancy um, in terms of both accounting skills but also technology skills, and and that's you know something we're acutely aware of and trying to um, figure out what we can do effectively in that space. And then you've got sustainability ESG. Mm. It's another massive one. It's something that we've been spending a lot of time at the ICW talking about for for a few years now. Uh, we launched a sustainability certificate um, a little over a year ago. It's doing really well. Obviously, we had COP um, just before Christmas, mm-hmm. um, where there was um, we had a bit of a presence, and and Michael Itzo, our, our outgoing CEO, was um, was attending that as well. Um, so we we are sort of seeing ESG being a big topic, and actually in the technology space increasingly i sort of see it as a bit of a you know a sort of a venn diagram where you have the esg world and the technology world mm-hmm. and they've started quite separate but actually the the overlap is is growing mm-hmm. both in terms of the role that technology can play in supporting esg agendas but also some of the challenges and you know again it's yeah. we come back to it a generative ai <laughs> and you know it's very well documented that the generative ai platforms are incredibly energy intensive yeah and so from an esg and sustainability perspective while all this technology is very exciting it does pose a lot of challenges mm-hmm. um in the in the kind of in the environmental space and we need to be not just mindful of that but actually thinking about okay well what can we do about it and a big part of that is actually comes back to being intelligent in terms of when you use it and when you don't use it there's a mm-hmm. great um cartoon that i i cite a lot um which is essentially kind of two sides of the screen and on one side you've got someone saying i'm going to use generative ai to write this incredibly detailed email from a few bullet points and then on the other side you've got someone else saying i'm going to use generative ai to summarize this incredibly Mm -hmm. detailed email into a few bullet points yeah and it's basically you kind of say well you didn't need to use generative AI. The, the first <laughs> yep. person could have just emailed the bullet points to the second person. So basic level communication still still trumps. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure you, like others, will, uh, will uh, you know, I often use it in my day job to summarise long things. I rarely use it to, to make me write long things. I think it's actually made me write less, um, which was probably a good thing. Um, but certainly, yes, the number of times I now, you know, in particular now you can load in things like PDFs, you know, such and such, some, you know, some people put out a 25 page long PDF, lovely, the first thing I'll do is throw that into um, an other generative AI tool of my choice and ask for a, you know, 500 words bullet point kind of summary. Um, and it's an incredibly efficient way, I find of at least getting to know if it's going to be something I'm then going to actually get into and, and read. So there's um, loads of different use cases, I imagine like that. Yeah. Um, and the really good thing actually is with that summary piece, you've got Yes, you've got things like ChatGPT, and we do very, very firmly advise people not to put client-sensitive information into yep. ChatGPT. But the really great thing is with um, what Microsoft have been doing, their their um, enterprise solutions. I think it's now called Copilot, but it was Bing Chat Enterprise. Yeah. Um, basically, just a a tab on your web browser. As long as you're in an enterprise Microsoft account, then it's all enterprise secure. So you can then start to yeah. put in more sensitive information is not in you have 
some comfort that it's not going to go anywhere or kind of get into the wrong hands or be used to train the model and start appearing in random places. So yeah. we're starting to see that sort of enterprise mindset kind of kicking in. Yeah, and we, we've had the same, you know, when we started doing stuff on this back maybe seven or eight months ago, the first question we ever got from anyone's kind of infosec team was, well, you know, you can't use the public open AI stuff, it's not going to work for us. Um, obviously, Microsoft came along with um, Microsoft Azure open AI services, and that for us has been really, really important because now the conversation is like, oh, okay, yeah, it's in the Microsoft stack, it's, it's you know, it's not going elsewhere, it's, it's really, really good. Um, and you, again, it's just a surprise of how well and how mature this stuff has come in, in such a short space of time, it's been great. I guess just in terms of a final question, um, any kind of closing top tips you would have um, that you see? Uh, anything you'd, you'd recommend? Yeah, so I'd say top tips. Uh, when we're talking about um, the use of AI, um, I, I always say be curious. I think being curious is one of the most valuable things that we can be um, in the accounting profession. Um, don't be afraid to to experiment, to to explore um obviously do it sensibly don't put client data in chat mm-hmm. gpt yep. as, a, you know, as i said before um but just um wanting to find out more wanting to understand more wanting to try things i think um it's actually kind of it, it's not just ai but actually in technology in general um having a curiosity about how technology works and what it can do for you um and if you're starting to kind of figure out some of those use cases just start small don't mm. try and go for the big prizes go for the low-hanging fruit go for the things that the, the little things that you know save five minutes here five minutes there because that will start to get you a sense of what you can do and then you can it can grow from from that point yeah and that's you know it's it's really good to hear because i think with you know a lot of our customers when we in our world when we think about corporation tax comps they're doing five thousand seven thousand ten thousand a year and as you say Five minutes times 10,000 is an awful lot of minutes. Um, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Ian. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, hopefully listeners have found that really interesting. I certainly have. Um, so thank you very much. And we will speak soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.